0: Stephen, let's just get it out there. First off, what was it like beating John McEnroe at tennis?
1: (laughs) You know, um, it was, uh, you want to hear the whole experience? Absolutely, um, yeah. um, I was on uh, University of Pennsylvania tennis team. We were playing um, a match against uh, Port Washington. And they had some really good players, future Davis Cup players, and they had Johnny Mack. He wasn't quite known as John McEnroe at that point in time. He was a little younger, and they had the my, my favorite courts, indoor clay. And um, I walked on the court, he walked on the court, he was about my size then, and uh, he hit three balls and my jaw dropped. I could not believe how this kid hit the ball. I said, you know, I was a fairly good player, you know, nationally ranked player, but I'd never seen anybody hit a tennis ball like this. And uh, I knew within three balls that this kid was something special. So we split sets. I was playing well. Fortunately, I had my A game. Uh, he went south uh, on the, in the last set. I won six love. His racket was all over the place. I vividly remember that. And of course, if you're playing someone and the racket is spending as much time out of their hand as in their hand, you're, you're, um, you're grateful for that experience. And two years later, I'm sitting down. I turn on the TV. It's the semifinals of Wimbledon. And McEnroe's playing Connors in the semis. I almost, I almost literally fell out of the chair. So, you know, i like to say I'm 1-0 against Johnny Mac. And uh, he probably, um, it probably had a psychological effect on his career losing to a guy like me early on. So that's the Johnny Mac story.
2: So, Stephen, we're, we're a podcast based in the northeast of Scotland. And, you know, ha- have you been to Scotland? Would you like to come to Scotland? What's your no, kind of... I want to
1: come to Scotland. Okay, I want to come to Scotland ju- just to hear the people speak. To me, that's, it's very poetic because you guys really know how to talk. We don't, we're, we'll probably never get it over here across the pond, but. And then just, um, just the kindness of the Scottish people. Uh, I, I want to experience that and the beauty of the land. And of course, the majestic golf courses you guys have. It's one of these things that
2: you know when you've lived here your whole life you take a lot of that things you said for granted like the land the golf, that all that stuff it's just it yeah. just exists you don't think about here. how lucky you are
1: no but here's the one thing i'm not too sure you could let, they would let me in the country because um i don't drink beer <laughs> <laughs> i know you don't call it beer what, what? have a pint but i i i actually i mean this is going to be kind of uh, hard to get your head around but i've never even tried beer <laughs> i don't know but that's the reality of the situation there, there's a local manufacturer
0: i think called brew dog who are quite popular around kind of they've kind of exploded all over the world and that's kind of based in and around the kind of the area but no we, we but we, we have we'll be able to get you some highland spring water or something like that stephen no, no, now,
1: you're talking, now you're talking my language okay
0: <laughs> so stephen 45 years of kind of searching for this kind of zone experience that you've, you kind of experienced while playing tennis and it's, you know, you've, you've come to the kind of fluid motion factor. So it, in simple terms, like I've obviously read the book in that, but tell us a little bit about what the fluid motion factor is in your own words.
1: Well, uh, in order to create, um, fluid motion in any sport, a very specific process has to occur in someone's brain physiology. And it really doesn't matter what sport you're competing in or what motion you're producing, it's the same dynamics. And essentially, you have to initiate a motion, obviously. So you generate a signal or an an intention in the brain to do something, whether it's uh, hitting a a serve or uh, hitting a flop shot. And um, there's two parts of the brain that are really interesting in producing motion. One is the prefrontal cortex, which is the front of the front of the front of the front of the brain. Um, And um, it's also it oversees all the processes in the brain. It's also called the CEO of the brain because it oversees all the process. When you're thinking uh, it's the PFC that's thinking. And the other part is the motor system. Now when someone creates a fluid motion, whether it's a uh, the number one golfer in the world or someone who just wants to break 90, you know, more than five times in the summer and they create a fluid motion during that 1.5 seconds it takes to generate a motion, the signal bypasses the prefrontal cortex, which means the intellect goes offline, goes right to the motor system and it's the motor system which communicates with the body to produce motion. The problem occurs and it's a mighty big problem, especially if you're a professional golfer or a professional athlete, is when the PFC or the intellect goes online then it delays the signal, and this is obviously happening in microseconds. It delays the signal moving to the motor system seamlessly, and then in the middle of the motion, the body is looking for direction from the brain physiology because that's where the motion is generated from. There's too many processes occurring, and that's when the bulkier core muscles dominate the motion, and it's anything but fluid. You've just described my shank
0: perfectly, Stephen. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> so, is, is this what? Is this what you kind of find with people, like, you know, you, you kind of experience these things like the yips and shanks and all these kind of things. Is these the kind of things that have, have been been kind of fine with people like that?
1: Well, you know, the yips or the shanks or, you know, not hitting a solid shot. It's, it's neurophysiologically based. You know, golf is all about motion. Motion is all about the muscles. Where's the operating system of the muscles? Well, it's in the brain physiology. So when something good happens, During the motion, you can uh, trace it back to these very subtle processes when something uh, that's not good happens. um, You can also trace it back to these um, these very delicate processes and you know essentially the yips is that the the PFC goes online so much and delays the signal. Moving to the motor system so much that the body is almost spastic because the uh, during the motion because the flow of intelligence between the mind and the body ha- is curta- curtailed it's like it, it, when you have a garden hose and you got the water running and all of a sudden you pinch the hose and then there's a block there so the water can't get through so when someone has the yips it's like the the prefrontal cortex is so much online that the flow of intelligence from the mind and the body has like been a snippet. you know it's sort of like it's you're you're it's pinched and then the body goes into essentially crisis management it's interesting
2: because you know i can i well, myself and david we resonate with exactly what you've just said on so many things that we've done on the golf course that you know we almost feel like your brain's gotten in the way you've thought about something so much that you can't do anything but do it wrong and you know when things have gone well they have just felt effortless there's been nothing Nothing going on in my brain, and it's just happened. You know, you've moved on past the hole. You're on the next one, and you've no no recollection of what you did on that green when you hold the pot It just did
1: it by itself. You know, it's a universal experience. It's a universal process. And um, what's really missing in golf is there's two things, in, in my estimation. One is that um, understanding how fluid motion is produced. Because if you don't have that understanding, and you know what, no one on the PGA Tour has it. No one on the, well, there's a few people on the LPGA, people who have gone through uh, my program. Um, Scott McCarron certainly knows how fluid motion is produced. But if you don't have that understanding, then you go to the golf course every day and you're not too sure what you have to do. You're not too sure what's gonna show up because you don't know what how fluid motion is produced, you're just hoping and praying it falls down from the heavens above. And the second thing that's missing, which I give out in my program and I give out in my book, Simplicity, is a program to set up by design what you normally experience by chance. Now, I've worked with some of the best golfers in the world, golfers that have won U.S. Opens or Masters or, or, or other uh, not major tournaments, but, you know, tournaments uh, all over the world. And before I, before I teach them the program, I sit down with them and I ask them, I say, okay, uh, let's say uh, Trevor, okay, Trevor, let's say you just had the best ball striking day you've had in six months, and you walk off the course and someone comes up to you and asks you, Trevor, do you really, do you really know why you played so well today? And if you ask enough questions, if they go to the swing, you just say, well, what, how, how come you missed the cut last week? So it ain't the swing. And if you ask them enough questions, do you know what they're going to say? No, these are the best golfers in the world. They're going to say I'm not too sure. it all clicked okay what this click clicking is they're not too sure. So the next day they go out they do ex- they, they think they do exactly what they did the day before they have the opposite results. Mm-hmm. So they walk off the course and you ask them now Trevor why why did you play so poorly today and if you ask them enough questions they'll say I don't know I thought I was doing exactly what I did the day before and I got the, appos- uh, the opposite results. So you think about it. These are not your weekend golfers. These are the golfers you see on TV that are trying to go down in history. And this is, this includes Tiger. So let's look at the situation. Let's look at the picture. They're not too sure what happens when they play well. They're not too sure what happens when they don't play well. Do you think there's something wrong with that picture? I mean, could there be anything more wrong with the picture? Now, fortunately, there's an answer. It's not Stephen Yellen's answer. Stephen Yellen may be clever. He's not the creator. Just like the heart works one way, the kidneys work one way, the lungs work one way, for everybody, regardless if they're a man or woman or living in Australia or living in in the great country of Scotland, okay? And fluid motion is produced identically. It's the same exact same processes. And it's a real, it's a real um, injustice essentially to these professional golfers and to all golfers that they don't understand what happens when fluid motion is produced it means they don't understand what happens when they had their swing that day and they were consistent they don't know what happens when they don't have it of course the swing is not working but um that's a byproduct that's not the cause that's not the reason so i feel this program is very timely and i ho- i hope it goes around the world because it's 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 every golfer's birthright to have this knowledge
0: it's definitely one of those things Stephen, that you know you kind of described it as kind of not really knowing and it's kind of like sitting at the roulette table um but one of the one of the things that kind of resonated with me with 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 reading the book was you kind of described about the effect of time mm. now, this is from a yeah. personal experience I had a situation where you might as well say I choked on the, from the 16th, 17th and 18th. But we well, one of the experiences that I kind of had was the the 15 holes before I had no recollection of what happened. But suddenly 16th, 17th and 18th came and it was like I played the last three holes in eight minutes. It was like it felt like time just kind of sped up. And then the next thing you know, it was done on the 18th green. So what, you kind of describe that to us about how the kind of time
1: kind of corresponds with this? The experience of time, the experience of time ultimately controls the muscles. Mm -hmm. And when there's the slightest over anticipation of an event that has not yet occurred, the cerebellum, which essentially sinks the swing and is able to self-correct the swing and smooths out a swing, is challenged to work. So there's two kinds of time that that um, I describe. One is in real time, meaning you're experiencing the club go back physically as it's moving. Boom, 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 boom. boom strikes the ball, and real time is when time is experienced in the present. You could say that in the now, because when you're at the top of the swing. Well, you don't know what's going to happen at impact, and you don't know what's going to happen, you know, when the ball lands or whatever, how it bounces. But if you start going into the future, especially in the transition, which is a key moment in the swing because the club is changing directions, if you slightly over-anticipate, just slightly over-anticipate an action that has not yet occurred, that's called distorted time, meaning you're anticipating what it's going to feel like at impact before you need to have that experience, because in a split second, you're going to have that experience. But if there's the slightest uh, an- over anticipation, then the cerebellum obviously on the way down, cannot really sink the swing. It, it, it's just, and you know, that feeling It starts to go into crisis management, you just, you're just hoping and praying, you could square it up at impact.
0: It's, it's crazy that how it kind of corresponds between uh, the two, you know, it's, it's fascinating that I find.
1: Yeah, no, um, every golfer, again, there's certain fundamental aspects of this program, which are totally based on neurophysiology that you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't have this understanding and the great ones. Now, you know, you're on the back nine in Augusta and you're playing for history. And um, it's much easier said than done to not go into the future at the top of the swing. I mean, look what happened to Jordan Spieth how many years ago on 12. Boom. uh, Two swings, and you know what? That was – could have won another green jacket. I don't know what number it was. It was third or something like that. And um, that was over, you know, over-anticipating. So the great ones like Tiger – Now, Tiger has a great quote. You read it in the book. There have been key shots in major tournaments. I took the club out of the bag. I didn't remember anything until I saw the ball in the air or the ball land on the green. Now that, the ability to have that experience under pressure in a major championship, when you're in the hunt, I will tell you unequivocally that that is what separates players on the PGA Tour. What separates players on the PGA Tour has nothing to do with their swing. Zero. They all have great swings. Uh, Padraig Harrington made a tragic, tragic mistake that has been repeated by many, many golfers. And that is, I wanna swing better. Let me go in there. Let me go in there and do some surgery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jordan Speed, three years ago, I want 10 or 15 more yards. Jason Day, a couple of years ago, I want 10 or 15 more yards. Boom. They're done. You know, they hopefully they're not done, but they could be done. And this gets into a whole nother arena of why these players, number one, feel they have to do surgery. And number two, what happens when they do the surgery? Do you want me to answer those questions? Okay. It's okay. All right. I'm off to the races. So, um, do they have that expression in in Scotland? Okay. Okay. So, um, it's human nature to want to get better in anything that we do. We don't want to stay the same. We want to have better relationships. We want to have a better job. We want to make more money. We want to feel like we're growing. It's human nature to grow. So, you've got a professional athlete, like a Padraig, like a Trevor Immelman, okay? Like a a Jordan Spieth, like a Jason Day. Um, I want to get better. I want to get better. So how am I going to get better? Oh, well, golf is all about the swing. So I want my swing to get better. Now, remember, they're already winners. It's not like they're on their way up. They're there, all right? So they go in there and do surgery. Now, here's one part of the equation that They can get better by learning how to access what they already own more consistently. Because when they access what they already own, guess what? Guess who won the British Open? Guess who won the U.S. Open? Guess who won the Masters? Guess who won the PGA? Guess who became the number one player in the world? When you're number one player in the world, you're not going to go to 1A, okay? You're at one. But this feeling, I have to improve, I have to improve. So if they understood that all they really have to improve on, as long as the swing is there, which it is, is being able to access what they already own more consistently. Hey, they can be Jack like Jack Nicholas and end up, you know, um, uh, how many top threes or top fives did he have in major championships? Like 50, 52 or 53 that's issue number one. So there was a, a wrong paradigm of how to get better. Now I'm, I'm all, all for getting better. But I'm all for getting more consistent. That's number one. Number two, okay, let's say you want to go in there and do surgery and how many players have gone in there and do surgery and never hear about them again? All right. A lot, too many. There's a few that have made it. Marco Mira made it. Okay. Maybe Faldo made it, but they're, they're the exception to the rule. They're not the rule. So you have to understand there's this basic understanding that you have to have of the environment the brain physiology has to exist in in order to produce fluid motion and sink a swing and there's one word that really describes this this environment and the word is wholeness wholeness the brain physiology it's not my it's not i didn't create this this is the creator brain physiology has to experience a threshold level of wholeness in order to sink a swing and access your best wings, your, your muscle memory. Now, wholeness is the togetherness of all the parts. Let's say you're behind the ball and you want to figure out what kind of shot you want to hit. So you're taking into consideration the lie, the wind, the, the, um, where you are in the round, what kind of club you want to hit, how you want to hit it, and you sort of put it into a blender. And if you don't make a smoothie, hit the blend button right before you pull the trigger, well, the brain physiology has not experienced a threshold level of wholeness because all the parts aren't integrated together. Something starts pulsating, and that's when you do crisis management during the swing. Now, someone wants to change a swing. Jason wanted to. Uh, uh, Justin wanted to um, change a swing, right? So they work on a part because obviously they have to change something. If you want to gain fifteen or twenty yards, you either you know have to. You have to generate more club at speed or change uh, something mechanically. Right. So let's say they're changing something mechanically. So they go in there and they say, well, you know, um, uh, Jason, if you can only do this with the club in this position, you're going to be able to have a, uh, you know, a, better, a more efficient angle of attack or generate more club at speed or whatever. So that starts to become the story of the show. They, they're putting all their eggs in that basket. And this is, for, this is for beginning golfers too, or intermediate golfers, or good golfers. They put all their eggs in that basket. I just have to do that. If I do that one thing, then all the dominoes will fall down in a row. So what does that one thing do? It breaks wholeness. It starts to become the star of the show. Now, once it starts to become the star of the show, especially before you pull the trigger, if you don't have a threshold level of wholeness before you pull the trigger, chances are you're not going to have a threshold level of wholeness during the swing. So what suffers the most when a part overshadows the other part of the swing or the shot, the most important element in a swing. And the most important element of a swing is timing. Timing is the glue that holds all the parts together. But if one part is dominating over another part, do this, don't do that hit the shot like this, don't hit it like that, then timing is challenged. Cerebellum is responsible for timing. So then you lose the ability to find the center of the club face. You lose the ability to control the distance with your wedges. You lose the ability to shape the shot that you want. So, because you went in there and did surgery and you didn't understand uh, the, the uh, very inevitable complications of surgery without understanding the environment the brain physiology has to exist in to play elite golf. It's one of those
0: things that after reading the book, I went to the uh, driving range, Stephen, and I kind of had this envision of my kind of head, like the brain at the front of my head. It almost would have been like a shining beacon kind of that you could have seen from the Northeast sea. But as I started to kind of do the kind of drills and things like that, you don't realize how active your head is whenever you're actually like standing playing. You know, it's one of these things that you can't see inside somebody's head. You can't see what they're thinking. You can't see what they're doing. But it's one of these things that it's it's fascinating. You know, it really is fascinating.
1: You know, when people go through this program, it's like a detox, my program, because they have been taught that, number one, you have to reinvent the swing on every shot. You have to live in Checklist City. I didn't know about this, guys. Honestly, I did not know (laughs) that muscle memory does not break down until I met Dr. Fred Travis, this uh, neurophysiologist who worked with two Olympic teams, Denmark and Norway. I did not know. But when he told me that, there was a nuclear explosion in my brain because I realized the ramifications, especially for professional athletes. They do not have to reinvent the wheel. So not knowing this, what do you think is going to happen with the prefrontal cortex right before, when you're over the ball right before you pull that trigger? Well, You're going to write a dissertation, okay? You're going to review every possible thing that you think is important that has to happen during the swing because after all, if you don't put your attention on that, then it's not gonna happen. And if it doesn't happen, you're not gonna swing well. This is this is taking a big bite out of a poison apple. And you have driven, you have, you have drunk a very toxic liter of p- pint of beer, whatever. Okay. It, it ain't good, whatever it is. And when he said that to me, I said, Oh my goodness, are you serious, Fred? Really? He said, Yeah, really. This changes everything. D- does does Padraic know this? No. Does Lee Westwood n- lo- know this? No. Did Faldo know this? No. It's a disservice that they did
0: It's one of these things that I think is, you know, I think as young people play the game, you know, you take the game up quite young and there is that sense of innocence, Stephen, that kind of goes. Oh, through. and it's almost like a thing that they've worked on through their life without even realizing
1: it because they've played as a kid. How many players, I guarantee you, you ask any player on the European tour, how would you like to feel the same way you felt when you were 12 years old? Oh yeah, give me back that innocence. Give me back that fearlessness. Give me back that freedom. And then what happens is they get sucked into the technical world. They get sucked into the track man numbers. They get sucked into the 3D analysis. They get sucked into all this high tech and then they become a prisoner. They become prisoner of the parts. So when you become prisoner of the parts, and you don't even understand how fluid motion is produced, you go on the course in a competitive round, and, and what's pulsating in your mind? Get the club here. I mean, that's what I've been working on, you know, for the last five years. Get the club here. You're breaking wholeness. You're ch- you're, you're 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 compromising the most important element that you have as a golfer. And that is the correct use of the cerebellum. You are completely, it's like a fire and you're pouring water over it. It can no longer burn. It can no longer give you heat.
2: It's interesting you mentioned things like 3D analysis and trackman there. Do you, think, do you think golfers these days put too much pressure on coaches expecting dramatic improvements just because there's technology there and all this, when really we're just making it even harder by
1: taking on too much information? 100%. Okay, now I'll say this it's a technology this technology is brilliant technology okay trackman 3d is brilliant absolutely brilliant but it's like how should i describe it it's like uh an alcoholic who has a few drinks okay and then he goes past a bar and he can't help himself he goes into that bar and he's done so what happens they become a prisoner they become a prisoner of the technology a prisoner of it, and this is why so many good golfers can't take their range swing to the course. Mm-hmm. You know, you have fifty balls, seventy-five balls. Well, you can look at the TrackMan numbers, you can make these adjustments, blah blah blah. You know, there's no ramifications, really. You know, one ball—that's a whole nother experience. Now, you look at the great golfers of the past. You know, the Byr—the the Byron Nelsons, the the Ben Hogans, the Sam Sneed, the Palmers, the players. The Nicklases, the Tom Watsons, I mean, they really dominated the game. Of course, there's a lot more golfers nowadays, whatever. Was there any tech there? Were there any traveling coaches there? Was there any tech there? No. They had to figure it out themselves, which means feel became more of a part just to feel, feel. Wholeness became more of a part. So what happens is that, in my opinion, okay, it would be very interesting to try this experiment. For one month, these guys have no track man and no coaches. They go to the range alone. After the after the course, they don't work with 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 anybody for for just for one month. I guarantee you, they would play. I would bet a lot of money they would play the best golf of their career for that for that one month. Not everybody, but a majority of them. Be
2: interesting to see how many would be be willing to give that a go for a month.
1: No, none. I bet no, none would do it. Exactly. Zero. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Zero. Because they, they they keep thinking they're equating knowledge with execution. They're equating knowledge with execution. And the more knowledge they have about their swing, about what breaks down when they don't swing well, mm-hmm. they feel that they can translate that knowledge into useful information that will help them on the course, and I do not believe that is true, one iota, not one iota. You know, it's like the guy who was leading the US Open after the first round. Okay, I think it was a Chinese uh, golfer. You remember him? He just shot lights out. And then he had a very pure, uh, a poor round, the second round, He he was on the range for like seven hours.
0: I think this was this Hai Tong Lee Was it him? Yeah, oh, yeah, he yeah. May have yeah. been Hai Tong Li. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. He, he he shoots lights out. He has he has a poor poor round. The next round he's on the range for seven hours. This is tragic. This guy doesn't have enough money to give me to straighten him out because it it would mean millions and millions for him. And it it comes it comes to the back to the this a neurophysiological. Point that uh, that Fred told me, Dr. Travis told me, is that once you groove a motion, and this is extremely counterintuitive for anyone who hears it for the first time, they're going to say, "What? What do you? What?" Well, I'll just say it. As soon as someone grooves their motion, doesn't matter what the motion is, and everyone knows what a grooved motion is. All the guys on tour have a grooved motion. Come on, or they won't be there. At that point in time, the motion can't break down what breaks down is the ability to access it so when the motion broke down of course something happened during the swing or else they would have hit the ball um, acceptably it's not what happened it's that essentially really black and white they broke wholeness so the cerebellum could not sink the swing and you could not access the muscle memory in the basal ganglia and this is the second ball syndrome You're playing a practice round, you're in the middle of fairway, perfect lie, perfect club, perfect distance. You miss the green, you drop a ball in disgust, and you stick it four feet. If the swing is broke, it's going to be broke on the first one and the second one, but it's not broke. You broke wholeness on the first shot, you didn't break wholeness on the second shot. So once you have that money in the bank, it's always your money. It's never going to go away.
0: I love that analogy in the book about the bank and about having the kind of funds and how you can kind of access it. There's rules to the bank, as you kind of say. Um, But Carl Morris actually talked about this and he said about uh, an episode that Darren Clark had where he shot a 60. I think it was a 60 round the K club in the European Open. It was years ago, but he had said that he was warming it up on the range, was shanking it and then went out and shot a 60. And it was almost like one of these things where I think some of us have that kind of level of expectation drops brain starts to quiet and then we go out and we have an absolutely fantastic round because we're not getting in our own way. Do you think that kind of ties in then?
1: It doesn't tie in. It completely wraps around it like a bow. (laughs) What it is is level of acceptance, okay? Level of acceptance. When you have a very low level of acceptance, meaning the ball has to go exactly where you want it to go, it's my way or the highway, then... Uh, as you read in the book, there's two unfortunate circumstances that happen during the swing. Is when you have a low level of acceptance, essentially, I'll just briefly say that the prefrontal cortex gets an open invitation to get involved because it wants to see how you're doing, right? Well, you want this, uh, you, uh, Darren, you, you want this ball to go this way and uh, let's just check it out. And of course, when the prefrontal cortex gets involved, the prefrontal cortex is the killer in a swing. No bueno. I don't know if you say that in Scotland. No bueno. Okay, but um, so Darren goes to the goes to the um, uh, the range at the K Club. All right, is just stinking the ball up. Stinking the ball. jeez, am I really a professional golfer? Really seriously? So he steps on the first tee. What's his what's his level of acceptance? Is it a one or a two? No, it's a ten. Okay, whatever. I I, I just had the worst rain session I've had in you know five years, I've got no chance of playing good golf. So what happens to the level of acceptance? It's a 10. Now what happens when you have a 10 level of acceptance? You accept all possibilities. You accept all possibilities. It goes right, it goes left, it goes long, it goes short. Now once you accept all possibilities, then during the swing, the prefrontal cortex has nothing to chew into because you've accepted the possi- you've accepted all possibilities. You haven't you haven't been a prisoner just of one possibility, and that's when the magic shows up. That's when the magic shows up, and this is this happens all the time. A guy's feeling good. Yeah, it's my day. It's my day. Uh, hit the ball great on the range. Gets to the first tee. Oh, geez, almost a B. You know, misses the green. Second second tee second hole. Uh, you know, uh, almost a B in the fairway. Misses the green third. Yeah. By the time he gets to the fourth hole, he says, oh, you know what? Forget it. As soon as he says, forget it, he has a 10 level of acceptance. And then he goes birdie, birdie, par, 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 birdie, birdie. Everybody's had this experience. (laughs) Now, there's something I just made a little video for uh, Instagram on this. There's something called the DNA goal. DNA goal is the embedded goal in a sport. You never have to think about it. No one has to remind by the way, I love you guys call it obviously football, soccer. I love watching highlights of European um, uh, Premier League and everything. And there have been some great shows on Netflix Manchester Manchester City. Um, what was the other? I one? About Aberdeen on on any of those kind of shows? <laughs> Aberdeen? No, I didn't see Aberdeen. Okay.
2: Oh. <laughs> uh, um, Sunderland, I think, was the other one. Did you see the Sunderland one?
1: Yo, Sunderland, you Sunderland, know, uh, yeah. uh, never die. What was it, Sunderland? So, so,
2: uh, Sunderland till I
1: die. Sunderland till, oh, I loved it. Okay, it was fantastic. So um, so a guy's going in to score a goal. I mean, he's, he. what is it called? Dribbling, right? He's just, you yeah. know, he's sort of, he's dribbling in. Now, before he's about to shoot, do you have to remind him that it would be a good idea if the ball actually went into the net? No, it's a DNA goal, all right? Now, you got the U.S. Open women's, Championship this week on the LPGA tour, right? So what's the, what's the DNA goal for all these ladies? Oh, I want to hit a lot of fairways. I want to I want to hit a lot of greens. I want to make a, make a lot of putts. I want to shoot a low score. I want to make the cut, and I want to win. These are all the wrong goals. These these are so. This is like saying to yourself, and I'm going to correct it for for uh, your side of the pond. Oh, I, I need to remind myself to drive on the left side of the road. No, you don't have to, do you ever ever have to remind yourself to drive on the left side? No, it's a DNA goal. The whole goal of a DNA goal is not to execute the DNA goal, because you're never going to forget about that. The whole goal of the DNA goal is to bury the DNA goal. And only the great ones, the really great ones, can bury the DNA goal, especially when they're in the hunt. Because when they're in the hunt, that DNA goal is pulsating on the surface level of the mind, like a two-year-old kid at Denny's. I don't know if you have Denny's. <laughs> in the car,
0: right?
1: That 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 wants uh, mommy get me French fries, mommy get me ice cream, mommy get me this, whatever. So um, I, I, the one, the person that's going to win this week is the one on the back nine at Sunday that actually is going to be able to bury the DNA goal because that's going to give them the freedom to actually. Hit the shots they want to hit. I'm giving you guys all the good stuff, by the way. All right. I'm I know going. that's it. I, I, we don't want to kind of s- spill over too much information here because
0: obviously we're we're going to be uh, we want we want people to go out and buy the book, but you know we're going to be giving away a copy of the book as well as a little prize, Stephen. Uh, we're going we're we're obviously going to give away our copy. Um, David, but, yeah, I mean. The stuff, that you've, the stuff that you've covered is absolutely fascinating. You know, it, it's it, it kind of, it resonates a lot. And that was one of the things that I find whenever I was reading it, you know, were our own experiences, you read through it. And it's one of these things that the experiences that you're describing, you know, through these different processes and that, it all just kind of spills over and rings bells in your own head. And you kind of makes you realize, like Darren and I have been discussing it before you come on as well about, you know, we're all guilty of it, you know, and I don't think I could, Mention one person that I've ever played golf with that hasn't kind of went down this rabbit hole of trying to make yourself better technically, you know. You
1: know, know, there comes a point in time. First of all, I am really big on good mechanics. You have to have good mechanics. You know, you don't swallow some fluid motion factor pill and all of a sudden, you know, you're hitting the 17 greens. No, especially for a beginning golfer, they have to go to a qualified instructor the qualified instructor has to teach them where the club has to be, where the hands, where the arms, where the body, all of this. But there comes a point in time and it's sooner rather than later than when someone has a repeatable swing that they're comfortable with. They need to shut the book, close the book on the swing. It's done. It's absolutely done. You know, Lee Jansen won two US Opens. He won a uh, Players' Championship. He won eight times on tour. He was a flipper of the club. He flipped it. No one no one would teach uh, a golfer Lee Jansen swing. Come on, he was a flipper. But he was a two-time US Open Players' Championship flipper. Right? So someone got into his head saying, Lee, you know, if you stop flipping, you can have unbelievable whole hall of fame career well after the 98 open which he won he went to work on a swing and he never won on the pga tour again his swing was done he needed to close the book on a swing never even look at the swing again don't videotape it don't do this i don't think they had track man back in 98 and just close the book you know there there was a player on the tour named uh rick Neer. is it rick Neer? um Anyway, he was the number two college player in the country behind Lonnie Watkins when he went on tour. And he won like 15 college tournaments. He was, I mean, the agents were all over this guy. And when he graduated, and of course he got his card the first year, he thought to himself, well, you know, I'm no longer on the college. uh, I'm no longer a college player. I'm a pro player, so I can't have a college swing on a pro tour So he went to work on his swing for 20 years. He won three times on the PGA Tour. No, he won twice on the PGA Tour. And he told me in person, he said, Stephen, if I didn't change one thing when I graduated college, I would have won 15 times on the PGA Tour and have competed, if not have won multiple majors. How tragic is that? How tragic is that?
2: It's really interesting as well when you say that he went to work on his swing for 20 years because when we spoke to Carl Morris recently, he he kind of did a tongue-in-cheek kind of pointing the finger at your, your weekend golfers that spend 10 years using the winter break to work on fixing their swing. And they do it again this year thinking that year 11 is the year that it's all going to fit into place. Yet nothing's changed for 10 years.
1: No, no. Forget 10 years. How about 40 years? Yeah. Oh, 50. when is,
0: when is yeah. it? When is enough enough
1: that's uh no enough is enough is when you have a repeatable swing and you're happy with it okay yeah. but then you get greedy because you think if i they, you live in this if, if i only could world okay if i can only do this if i can only do this and then you you take a big bite out of the poison app uh poison apple and you um you're it's toxic for life you're toxic for life The guys on the PGA Tour, European Tour, they're all in swing prison, all of them, and and the ones that win that week, for whatever reason, they shut that prefrontal cortex down, they let things happen the way it should happen, and and they end up, um, you know, winning the tournament uh, Sunday afternoon.
0: Obviously, with buying the book, Stephen, what kind of advice would you give listeners that are preparing for the, the 2021 season, you know?
1: Fly me over in your private jet. I'll fly anywhere. Okay. <laughs> Give me my ridiculous amount of money, which is actually um, should be more, for what it's worth for a professional golfer. All right. And and then put me in your scrapbook. No. Honestly, if uh, my website fluidmotiongolf.com, fluidmotiongolf. It's one word. You could buy my videos uh, online there. And there's two ways to buy them. One is you just get the videos and um, that's it. And the second level is you get the videos and then you have a number of Skype sessions with myself where I can answer questions for you, uh, which is always, you know, um, things come up for individual golfers and uh, different golfers. Uh, You can buy my book. It's available on Amazon seems to be doing well and helping some people out or you can you know hire me work with me in person so you have th- those kinds of options
0: it's definitely something that's i'll definitely be recommending the book stephen you know I've, like it'll be interesting to see how if i'm able to put it into practice next year to see how it kind of goes um but no it's it's been awesome having you on to kind of talk about the whole kind of process to be looking and chat about you know the journey that you've been on. More importantly, you know over the last you know forty five years worth of kind of looking into this kind of stuff and trying to kind of piece it all together. You know, so yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I really
1: appreciate it, Stephen. It's my first Scottish podcast. Okay. Oh no, but but Carl Carl's in uh, in uh, in England, right? He's yeah, in England. Carl's in England. Yeah. Okay, so this is my first Scottish podcast. I have a very I have a very soft spot for Scotland and the Scottish people. I do hope to come over there one day. Maybe I can organize a clinic over there, but I really appreciate you guys taking the time out and having me on. Brilliant. Thanks for having you on. It's been brilliant. Really good. You're going to have to look us up whenever you come over here,
0: Stephen. We'll take care for a game around one of these courses. Listen, I wouldn't know
1: where to go. You guys have to help me out, right? Or you could give me a tennis lesson. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still playing tennis. Uh, Supposed to play today, but it's so warm. I'm going to play golf right now. Well, okay, guys. Play well, Steven. Yeah, send me a link. I'll put it on my Facebook and um, page, and and stay in touch. Let me know, you know, what your progress is with the program. Have any questions? Please feel free to reach out and ask me. Brilliant.
2: Thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks,
1: Speak to you again. Bye bye. Bye bye.